Blog Talk Radio. Identity of 
Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. Father, and your white great grandfather sold 
killed my great-grandfather and your white-grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave.
The struggle to achieve a new paradigm for humanity is crippled by race reductionism that embraces ideas that undermines forward movement. Some individuals maintain the embrace of enslavement reparation affords the far-right conservatives the ammunition they need to foment deeper divisions in society in which they can exploit. Assumptions only far-right conservatives seek <coughs> to maintain the status quo effectively disregards the support far-right conservatives receive from the platonic right or left-wing groups committed to the U.S. experiment in all its manifestations. Historically, African grievances had long served as the catalyst for political change in the U.S. Recognize the strategic value of the African struggle in the U.S. and its focus on structural dimensions of inequality, such beliefs are only now being called into question. Label identity politics, such characterization seeks to legitimize the idea the struggle for political change must be confined within the parameters of an ideology particularly suited to bring about a successful conclusion of the struggle in which the myriad of prevailing social political issues will simply vanish. One such social political issue is the issue of skin color. Sentiments that support the erroneous belief that protests led by Black Lives Matter only inflames hatred does a disservice to historical precedent that clearly in indicts political institutions as the antecedent for the rise of racism in U.S. society. It is worth exploring in the 1990s the, the rightward drift of political activism started around the presidency of, of Bill Clinton, the Democrat. Spurred by Clinton's attack on African activists like Sister Soja by misrepresenting her parables and signing into law bill, bills implying an end to African irresponsibility by advocating employment when jobs were difficult to obtain, set the stage to stigmatize Africans and in, and in the process elevate racism in U.S. society. The simple strategy of Clinton gave rise to right-wing stratagems that doubled down on platitudes that any social political injustices imposed on Africans were pure myth. Prevailing mythological interpretation of non-existent African repression provided a perfect segue for conservatives to craft deceptive narratives. Conservatives would blame Africans for the political divide in the U.S. decided by highlighting just how out of touch the African community is with mainstream American values. Ironically, the very concept of American dream belies the idea of economic advancement can be achieved individually. Economics, by its very nature, is an exercise of the collective working together to facilitate stability while providing the resources the collective need to flourish. Capitalism comes along in the 16th century to turn logic on its head, insisting responsibility for the collective is not only uncivilized, but hampers the individual's ability to amass materialism at the expense of those who make attainment of wealth possible. Embedded in this philosophy is a deep insecurity in which materialism masks human insecurity under the guise humans are defined by materialism. Internalization of such a value system complicates recognition of strategies that exposes the structural framework of U.S. institutions devaluing what it holds most sacred, namely profits by means of exploitation. So when individuals discount the veracity of African strategy insisting the feat of far-right extremism is achievable using an ideology based solely on a class analysis, such a view is not only opaque but lacking complexity. Now, clearly the focus conservative strategy is to disempower not a segment of the African community but the broader African community by engaging in dog whistles targeting an entire community. Reality is, for the African community to narrow its political focus by elevating class as primary is tantamount to being a participant in one's own oppression, and Marx would agree. According to Biko Agazino, 
critique of Das, das Capital, Volumes 1 and 3, he pulls out Marx's acknowledgement of the African paradigm, shopping his understanding of liberation struggle. While the elevation of race was perceived as counter-revolutionary, he understood the psychological impact of colonization on Africa. Colonization of Africa was as much about civilized whites against the uncivilized blacks as it was about conquest for material gain. In this regard, Marx's proclamation encapsulates the subjective nature of oppression in which biases, opinions, and social conventions that preceded the nation state plays a part in inequality, totally separate from the pursuit of material gain at any cost. In fact, according to Pew Research, it indicates seven out of ten white Americans embrace cultural issues, not class issues. In other words, economics is less important than being part of the group that dominates other ethnic groups. This is extraordinary given the level of below poverty individuals in a white community. Currently, over 32 million whites fall below the poverty line, with 17 million facing economic instability. The natural inclination is to view the 40, 49 million plus as objective allies in the fight against systematic inequality. This assumption would be wrong. Among those wage earners identified as evangelicals, the tendency is to reject scientific exploration and instead focus on crucicentrism, which defines political change impossible if not endorsed by Jesus and the paradigm drawn from the crucifixion. And this is only the right side of the equation. On the political left, the resistance to acknowledge the oneness of humanity makes it expedient to accept ideologies or belief systems that preserve falsehoods like race, inherited group intelligence, and, <clears throat> and corrupted social Darwinism beliefs, social Darwinistic beliefs. In this context, potentially to discredit systematic change serve the interests of group power without acknowledging such inaction impact, impact <clears throat> serves to preserve the status quo. Perhaps this is the in, intended intent. Now, there are additional factors that discourage any move or sentiment toward opposing systematic inequality. Part has to do with socialization, what it means to be a good citizen. A much greater aspect of the indifference to fighting for economic change involves social biological conditions totally independent of monetary concerns. Two examples comes to mind. The first example that negates involvement in engaging in movements for economic justice is the level of survival brain paradox or brain function response to stressful situations, which influence the conservative brain disproportionately. In following the lead of media and government narrative, it is less stressful on the brain to, con to conclude. It is, best is, is the, it is the best course of action to follow their narratives, even if that narrative is false. Contrast the situation with the traumatic news like pandemics, mass killings, or protests, it is considerably less stressful for the brain to invalidate such events, deeming them as problems. Imagine media manipulating the biochemical process but continuing to disseminate information that is not only false but stressful. The second, part, the second point is that the low level of trust for both institutions and, others, and the other citizens among working class whites as a majority, <coughs> as a majority group. The reports have demonstrated the interplay between low levels of trust among poor whites and the viewpoints they, inspire, they aspire. When former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton called those demographics deplorables, she was intimating the very adversarial relation between poor whites and government institutions. However, the distrust has broader implications for political change. Even though policy redirecting monies from billionaires whose wealth has grown by $8.8 trillion by taxing wealth to, ex to expand employment opportunities on or social safety net is a benefit to poor whites, such ideas are likely to be rejected. 
not only will ideas like to be rejected because of mistrust of government institutions, but the perception of who benefits may also be a, may also be a factor. Now, in concluding, in concluding, when we talk about ideologies that maintain people are motivated solely by class interests, it must be reevaluated. In situations where government economic interests are sacrificed, it behooves us to ask the question, how is the undermining of economic interests the same as preserving those interests? Government policy consistently favors subsidies for corporations and the wealthy. Yet over the last 200 years, every time pol- government policy rewards wealth, the, economic, the economy declines for rich and poor alike. Perhaps what is taking place has less to do with economics and more to do with maintaining political control at all costs. Quite different from monetary concerns as a primary motivation for human behavior. Class analysis, in many respects, simply justifies an array of human behaviors concealing the real motivations of both the political right and the political left. And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we make a transition to Brother Anthony, who is the organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. Welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. I object to this pan-Africanism, total liberation, and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. We're going from Brother Anthony, we will now bring you Brother Moses, who is a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings with everything within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And we continue to struggle to be, to unite the many, to defeat the few. And the struggle is to recognize oppression, where it exists, and who it exists for, and to be in the struggle to alleviate that oppression, the injustice anywhere, the threat to justice everywhere. And we're in the struggle for scientific socialism. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we go to Sister Eleanor, who is also a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in Solidarity with with the Cuban Revolution. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Thank you. Um, good evening, Brother Africa, to our fellow, my fellow panelists, and to our listening audience in the United States and abroad. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And I look forward to touching all the wonderful 
happening around the world this week, including South Africa's legal action against Israel and its uh, genocide of the Palestinian people. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And we have a a participant who we got identified by the last four numbers. Please identify yourself. Last four numbers. Uh, 9061, 9061. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Okay, uh, my name is Cahalka Amana L. Bay, and I'm talking to you from Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm okay. trying to figure out. Okay, now, how is it? Uh, possible for us to as a nation of people to understand anything else if we don't have a clear and concise understanding about the very foundations of what we think we believe versus what we know for a fact and we can prove. Brother Bay, we would entertain that as part of that discussion as we go through this program, and we'll come back to let you respond. So we'll put you on hold and continue to listen. Thank you, my brother, for calling in from Florida. At this point in time, after on the move, we're going to take a regular culture break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss what's going on in your world and the community, and we invite you, the listening audience, to call in at 323-679-0841 during this segment if you'd like to discuss what's going on in your world and the community. As you know, this particular program is part two of why they are not discussing this. That's right. This is part two, why they are not discussing this. And uh, when we come back, we welcome everyone to come and join us. You're You're listening to Brother Africa, and this is Africa on the Move.
living in pain Today is the same And nothing ever changes Hung by the news Can't tell the truth Filled with abuse And everywhere there's danger How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, to last through my journey. We must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Hello a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin, turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people. 
the love of my people shining like the sun everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. I'm your host, Brother Africa. Like we say, if we're in the seat, we're going to take the heat. Because as you define it, we're going to stand behind it. That was the question that was posed to us this past week on why do we do the things we do? Well, we think that we can respond to that question by stating what Brother Bob Marty, Bob Marty left us when he made the statement. The people who are making this world worse are not taking a day off. Why should we? That's our response. So keeping to travel down the road of liberation, we're going to make our transition to our segment, what's going on in your world and the community. If you would like to join us, we actually call in at 323-679-0841. Africa on the Moon. Africa on the Moon is a radio program that comes on weekly from starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You can call in at that number I just listed, or you can go online on Blog Talk Radio. We want to be an institution that will serve and speak to the voice of the voices, and particularly the voices of African people. So if we have any kind of movement, political party, they are doing things with us, our people. You are always welcome to come to our platform. After all, this is Africa on the move. So let's get started with our party by bringing our political panelists and analysts. Let's start off with Brother Anthony and ask him, Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Okay, uh, several events going on in, in, in my world and community. Uh, one at home, uh, Africans are, 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 are getting tired of suffering from neocolonialism, which they suffer from the days they got sham independence uh, from the European imperialist powers. And now they're, uh, you know, they're getting tired and frustrated by the lack of progress they see in their communities, and they're doing something about it. This is what's ha- uh, this is what's fueling uh, the movements in Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger. And uh, and uh, they and uh, they are uh, they uh, are uprisings taking place everywhere, 
against the forces of neocolonialism. In other words, um, uh, you know, oppression disguised in uh, in sheep's clothing, and uh, and uh, they're getting tired of uh, of their wealth being exploited and uh, uh, for European interests only. And uh, and uh, and that and uh, Africans are struggling against that increasingly uh, throughout the the continent and also in the diaspora as well. And uh, uh, and this is not uh, being re- reported in the imperialist controlled media. But the signs are everywhere uh, if people perceive them of resistance to our continued oppression by imperialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. From Brother Anthony, we will go to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother Africa, the more things change, the more they remain the same, particularly with respect uh, to police brutality and police killing of innocent African men, men, men and women. Now, in 2019, aspiring rapper uh, William McCoy, 20 years of age, was assassinated by six police in Vallejo, California. McCoy, who was sleeping in his car, was approached by the police unannounced. Rather than awaken McCoy to inform him of their presence, they observed Mr. McCoy by making plans to unleash a barrage of bullets at the unsuspecting young man. One police, it's alleged, stated, quote, if he reaches for it, you know what to do, and I'm going to pull his ass out of the car and snatch him up, end quote. Interestingly enough, the cop contradictory statement should have been sufficient to indict the police for insufficient use of force. On the one hand, the officer implies McCoy has a weapon even though if he had a weapon, it would have been concealed, which means there was no material reason to conclude McCoy had a, had a gun in the first place. Even more bizarre with the statement is, if the assumption is he has a gun, why make a contingency plan to snatch his ass out of the car? The assumption being snatched, of being snatching his ass out of the car was, viable, was a viable option only because he was not, um, at least to the extent, any potential weapon could be used as a threat against the police. Now, reports stated three to five seconds upon the police arrival, McCoy was shot 55 times. Prosecutors' refusal to indict the cop was problematic for two reasons. One, reasonable use of force to stop potential threat by shooting someone 55 times is excessive and fraught with malice. It does not take 55 bullets to incapacitate the human body. Given cops' distance from the car, 55 shots is excessive likely in showing a person's death. Secondly, the city of Vallejo, California, has a long history of police brutality and police misconduct. Police in this particular city, according to local news documentation, has a long history of bending the tips of their badges to indicate successful kills of African and or Latin civilians. In fact, one of the police who shot McCoy previously killed Ronnell Foster, 32 years of age, an unarmed African male. Now, oddly, this level of police terror harkens back to similar examples of police criminality. In 1984, Eleanor Bumper, 67 years of age, pre-dementia, and use of a walking cane, was shot numerous times by police 
resulting in her succumbing to wounds from a sawed-off shotgun fired at point-blank range. The cop who fired that sawed-off shotgun at her was acquitted by the judge. In 1999, Amadou Diallo, a 23-year-old West African immigrant, was shot 48 times attempting to assess his apartment from the lobby of his building. The four, the four police charged with killing Diallo, uh, by the way, who was Ron's suspect, were acquitted. Prosecutors intentionally sabotaged this particular case. Now, the question is, Brother Africa, where this where these killings end? The question, the, the answer is no. And in fact, given the fact that declining capitalism requires more killings, so if declining capitalism requires more killing, the question is, what are we going to do to protect ourselves? And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. And from Brother Haki, we will now go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. The real issues, um, burning question of the hour is uh, internationalism in terms of um, the struggle against Zionism and apartheid, Israel's U.S. war machine. Um, the need for internationalism is in terms of uh, our subjective factor because right now we're facing with segregation and discrimination and uh, a lack of internationalism, more of a narrow nationalism, and uh, the people people are in love with themselves and their own, their, who they identify with, and they've taken this dogmatic uh, view of the world and trying to force the world into this, um, I don't know what I call a Rubik's Cube mentality, trying to get get in, in the nations back into their their prospective uh, territories or fears of influence. But we need internationalism. We need um, um, uh, integration. The Jews, the Jews were no longer a nation. And when Jesus was born, and He said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and love your enemy, love your neighbor as yourself," which meant He was for integration. He was for the Jews integrating into the, the nations which they found themselves in, because they were no longer a nation; they were a remnant. And uh, inter- integration is the real issue uh, facing the world, and their attitude towards integration is is a question of revolution or non-revolution ultimately. And um, so this is a dilemma we're faced with uh, non-nationalism and chauvinism, um, a, a level one's self and one's identity and to the extreme. And uh, meanwhile, Trump is being pursued by the anti-fascist forces trying to help hold him accountable for his his uh, January 6th exploits. Um, we need to continue that struggle. And uh, these are the critical issues, I think, um, that are facing us right now. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we'll go to our brother. We'll go to our sister, Eleanor. Sister Eleanor. What's going on in your world and the community? 
Well, as um, you know, this week on uh, as um, Israel Israeli bombs continue to fall on Gaza, the 15 judges of the International Court of Justice gathered at the Peace Palace in the Hague to hear South Africa's historic genocide case against Israel. Now, this is a phenomenal thing. What has happened is um, several countries have weighed in. South Africa's decision to bring Israel before the court was met with uh, overwhelming support from around the world. On Monday, uh, the 8th of January, over a thousand organizations, trade unions, uh, political parties, other organizations from 90 countries launched an open letter urging states to support South Africa at the ICJ, as it's called. Uh, Since then, more than 60 countries have spoken out in support of South Africa's case, including Brazil, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Colombia, Bolivia, Jordan, Iran, and uh, 57 members of the Organization of Islamic Countries. So uh, to witness this historic trial and testimonies uh, is phenomenal. Um, And we hope in the next three to four weeks to see some kind of response, reasonable response, uh, and that that Israel at least takes the court or considers the court legitimate. So hopefully with the International Court of Justice decision, often called ICJ, we will see a permanent stop to this genocide. And um, in addition, we saw that... uh, One minute, no, no, one minute, please. Well, I'll I'll leave it at that. We can leave it at that. The fact that the case is going on, the fact that 90 countries have weighed in, and um, the fact that litigation, uh, South Africa presented its case on uh, the 11th and Israel on the 12th. So um, we're just waiting to see the decision of the court. And thank you so much once again, Brother Africa, for having me on this evening's show. It's always an honor to have your participation, Sister Eleanor.
We have a special participant today, our brother out of Florida, Brother Albay. We're going to bring you in. If you would like to share with us what's going on in your world community, you can do that now. Brother Bay, what's going on in your world, Albay, and the community? Everything is going on, my brother. Uh, how y'all doing? I, I'm so, I, I think I'm so honored uh, that you would give me an opportunity to come in here and talk to you. And uh, I think that uh, there's a whole lot of things that is uh, missing. First of all, we have been under the uh, uh, let me see, not illusion, but auspicious. Uh, I don't even think that's the right word. Is it humanly possible for somebody to give you any information about you that you have not uh, discovered for yourself? Now, this is my position. We live on a rock uh, that we call Earth, and there's a whole lot of things that's going on and on and on and on and on. Okay, so if we know for a fact that they went into the uh, uh, ancient mountains and they discovered uh, Kimbuktu and they did with the uh, uh, Moses and all this and they brought all this. That means that there was something that preceded us. So I tried to figure out when you say to me the word God, are uh, you present a sentence that say, uh, do we lie, uh, do we die, uh, is that life after death and all this stuff? And it is amazing to me how is it humanly possible, how is it humanly possible when the earth everything on it and everything in it belongs to you. And now we got to turn around and try to figure out why somebody else start dictating to you how it's supposed to be about this, that, and the other who don't even look like you, who don't even know about you, who don't know nothing. It is Especially if the Moors occupied Spain before the 10th century and is expelled from that region in 1492, all of a sudden everything changed. Okay, how do you explain to me, where all over the continent that you have and label as America, no such place, you bringing up all these 
ancient things don't match your narrative. And then we are supposed to have colleges and universities and schools. That's my question. All right, brother, they hold on, and we will bring in their panelists. They're going to respond to your question. Brother, how can okay. we start off with you on this one? Uh, would you like to address the narrative? One of the things I would like to say, Brother Haki, to my brother today about one of his questions of how can somebody know something about you that you don't know about yourself, I think it, it goes on all the time. I think it's quite possible. But people can learn through participation and observation. I can look at a group of people and observe them, and they may not be conscious of their own behavior and actions. And, and from that, I can learn things that you didn't realize that I learned from you about you because you were never conscious of your behavior. This goes all goes on all the time. This is what behavior science does. This is what the enemy does when it comes to us. If you're a scientist, hey, if you know more about science, you know about the, the makeup of the body, whatever, I'm quite sure you can find out things about the human body, about one human body that you better not know if you have not acquired certain, a certain amount of discipline in the area that you, 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 you're seeking and discussing. So that is quite possible, my brother. But anyway, Brother Haki, speak to his questions and turns. No take. Brother Haki. Yeah, well, I, I, I think... Just to, just to sort of reiterate the point Brother Africa is making, you know, one of the things when we talk about, you know, you know, coming to understand things, a certain amount of empirical study, uh, you know, has to take place. In other words, what you have to do, you have to observe, and you have to read, and you have to analyze. And so in doing that, you come to the conclusion certain truths are self-evident. So I think in that regard, you know, uh, to the extent that, you know, we, we, information or, or knowledge is, 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 is viable, it has to be buttressed or backed by, uh, you know, uh, uh, scientific inquiry. And I'm not talking about scientific inquiry to the extent when we're talking about things people people merely say. For instance, the brother says that he'll talk about neuronationalism, but uh, he doesn't define what neuronationalism is. So we're talking about some science. So in order for me to to in order for me to truly understand anything, then it has to be backed by some type of science. In particular, some type of history would suggest. Over long periods of time, this has been evident. And so once you do that, so then therefore, you know, so we don't necessarily have to understand, uh, you know, uh, everything that we're told. But I think to the extent that, you know, that we, we go back and research in terms of what we're told, then we can determine what's, what's valid and what's invalid. So I think to some extent a large amount of inquiry is needed in terms of adequately defining what is real and what is not real. So unless we do that, one of the things that we're, 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 we're susceptible to being manipulated, you know, uh, you know, by certain kind of platitudes, certain kind of uh, ideas that exist in society, which may not necessarily be true. So, so I'll close by simply saying I think that, uh, you know, inquiry along with the, with the scientific analysis in terms of, real, of what's going on in society gives a clue in terms of what's real and what's not real. And I'll close with that. Brother Anthony, your response to my brother. Brother Anthony. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, to uh, to add to what you you said, Brother Africa, and also to uh, uh, to add to Haki's point. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, it uh, is it starts with uh, with observations of behavior over long periods of time. For example, um, a certain astronomical phenomena. Uh, uh, let's see, that's that, that's based on many years of observations. As a matter of as a matter of fact, uh, Africans uh, observed uh, certain astronomical phenomena over many many years and uh that's how they were able to develop uh things such as the calendar and uh and um you know and also uh make uh certain discoveries uh about certain astronomical patterns that took place over long periods of time and this uh this took a number of years to develop which is one of the reasons why uh why africa had uh had developed uh, the calendar and other astronomical phenomena first because they were uh they were on uh, around long enough have done so and um, you know and this goes uh, uh, not only to uh, applies to nature but also to human nature as well it is based on uh, observations over uh, periods of time and certain uh, phenomena take uh, take longer periods of time than others so it takes a number of observations, and out of these, you can uh, observe certain patterns in nature that teach uh, uh, that you can learn uh, about natural phenomena and uh, human life as well. That's all I'll add to that. Brother Moses, would you like to respond to my brother's question? Yeah, I'm I'm having a hard time getting a handle on exactly what the question is. Um, um, okay, what we'll do is quickly, Brother Bay, again, can you uh, refine your question so my panelists will be clear on the point you're trying to raise? Brother B. Well, my question is this. You know, uh, my brother, my illustrious brother, I so appreciate you uh, having a platform here. But you know, as well as I know, that numbers don't lie. We ain't got benign numbers from zero to nine. And we know for a that there is someone else that 
interfering what we already knew from the beginning of time, which produced peace, tranquility, life, loveliness, and everything else that deal with righteousness. So when you allow something else to come in that disrupts that lineage, then we have a problem. What I'm only saying to you and to all of my illustrious brothers that came from your land to my land because I didn't come here from no slave ship. I've always been here and everything else they told you about, anything else about my being here is a cotton-picking lie. What I would like for you to do is do an investigation on the beginning and when you get to the beginning, then you go backwards in time. That may give you something a little bit else that you may not have understood or discovered. And the only reason I'm saying this to you, the only reason I'm saying this to you is because I was working for a company one time and they brought in and they brought the most magnificent brothers I ever seen. And the brothers did what they thought they any man would do. We want the highest vegetable, want the maximum amount of, uh, of money that we can make. And they took these brothers and put them somewhere that they didn't understand language. And because they didn't, they fired them. I was so disappointed, I didn't know what to do. But tonight, you gave me a platform where I could tell the truth about what happened. That's all I have to say, man. All right, Brother Baby, we'd like to thank you. You can continue to participate as you go through our program. We'll take your wise words to continue to struggle and study with the question of originality of Africa and African people and where and how they came into existence. That's a lifetime struggle and study, and we will continue to do that, Brother Bay. We'd like to thank you for sharing that particular perspective on Africa on the Move. At this point in time, we're going to move on to our particular um, theme tonight, why they are not discussing this. And as we talk about that theme, we're going to be critiquing two documentaries in which can be found in, on YouTube. We'll be discussing the first theme, the first documentary titled Professor P.L.O. Lamumu's Speech on Corruption in Churches. Why are they not discussing this? We can have that discussion when we come back. You are, you are listening to Brother Africa and Africa on the move. If you think of the Middle East in this 
modern time. You can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, cause Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed. We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine,
We welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. I'm Brother Africa, and yes, we are big, we are bad, and we are bold. We're going to talk about those things that people don't want to discuss. Now, you know, when we critique the church, we're in the African community. For some reason or another, people take that to be very sensitive to look at that institution. But if you're going to speak truth to power and truth to the powerless, there should be no institution in that community where we cannot critique. So what we want to do at this particular time, bringing our political panelists and analysts, and have the discussion that sits around this whole question of corruption in churches. We have this discussion. We would like to first and foremost raise the question with our political panelists and analysts. Is the church untouchable when it comes to critiquing the role they play in that institution and the individuals who are winning church community that run the institution. Brother Anthony, your position. Um, my position is the uh, the church is not be, be, be beyond the crit- uh, critique of uh, 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 of the community in which it uh, in which it, it serves or, or, or is located. Uh, let's see. The church uh, is an institution created by human beings, so it it, it is subject to criticism by uh, human beings. And uh, you know, and uh, and uh, the observation that uh, Pierre Lumumba was making about the church in Kenya, uh, some of his observations could be uh, could be applied in generally to uh, the. Uh, you know the behavior of churches in neo-colonialist countries, and uh, and that uh, and that applies to mo- uh, uh, to a lot of sectors of uh, the uh, the African uh, uh, world, both at home and in the diaspora. And um, you know, and uh, some of the pa- uh, uh, you know some of the observations he he made uh, could be uh, uh, could be uh, uh, applied to uh, other areas that are dominated by capitalism and neocolonialism. And uh, you know, if you uh, if one analyzes the cr- principles of Christianity uh, carefully, if you're not fighting against uh, you know uh, uh, the uh, status quo, so to speak, in these capitalist and neocolonialist societies. Then you are uh, then you are uh, are uh, uh, abetting them in their exploitation.
humanity. And um, uh, and uh, that was uh, uh, the criticism he had of the uh, of the church in Kenya, and um, you know, and uh, and uh, you know, uh, the same pattern can be seen in uh in, in any societies that's dominated by uh some form of imperialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, is the church untouchable? And can we critique those who are in those institutions who are running them? Your response, Brother Haki. Yeah, uh, well, I, I don't. I, I certainly don't think churches are beyond critique. Uh, they can't be. Uh, churches are intimate part of the African experience. Uh, you know, one of the things interesting about you know Christianity often is laden with things with, with with ideas that are not necessarily sanctioned by the flow of history, but nonetheless people tend to believe simply because they've been indoctrinated to believe. In fact, when we talk about the origin of the church, we can't we can't dis- dismiss the role Ethiopia played in terms of origin. Of, of Christianity, and what is interesting is that the West came along, and in terms of you know embracing Eastern Christianity or Christianity out of Ethiopia, uh, they 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 corrupted the Christianity, which became which became Western Christianity, in which the spiritual became political, and so therefore this whole, so this notion in terms of teaching people you know the importance of salvation became a political tool in, in which to control and to manipulate people in the church. And of course, one of the things is when as church as you know as a as a as a as a as a body, when you talk about the concentration of people you know working in harmony, we understand what they understand and what they don't understand is crucial in terms of the kind of positions they take, the kind of things that they do. As a consequence, when we look in terms of the United States and we look in terms of the so-called the right, the, the Christian right, uh, these people are very very reactionary, extremely racist, uh, willing to kill. Uh, people who are totally void in terms of any understanding in terms of you know Christianity as relate as relate to the Eastern context of Christianity. So clearly in the African community, you know, uh, you know, we could get this long history in terms of the relationship with the church. We can ill afford to not critique those individuals both in the church you know, who support the churches, uh, who lead those churches. Because if we don't critique them, then the possibility in terms of real harm manifesting becomes that much more much more real. In fact, one of the things recently in Kenya that happened, uh, the, uh, it was a pastor, Paul Tengenge, excuse me, Tengenge, uh, in which 80 children, women, and men uh, saw themselves to death in terms of seeking salvation. And so when we have these kind of atrocities happening in the church, we can Ill, we can ill afford to say, you know, take an attitude, take a position that, listen, we're not concerned. Because these kind of these kind of actions does have a precipitous impact on in terms of overall function of society. Ultimately, it has an impact in terms of not just not just that immediate society, but to set society generally at large. Because if people really believe that in fact that you can solve your problems or you can get to heaven simply by killing yourself, uh, that becomes problematic. So certainly we, we don't want that to want that to spread. And so, therefore, you know, we have an obligation in terms of critiquing to critiquing the, the the Christian church. And uh, we we do so not because we are we 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 are we are, we are contemptuous of the of the Christian Church. We do so because we understand the Christian Church and part and parcel of the African experience. African people gave Christianity to the world. So why were we been uh, uh, 
uh, undermine or, or distort or destroy the, val- the, the viability of, of the Christian church. The Christian church is extremely important to African people. But for that reason, we have to have uh, some, ty- some type of means in terms of, to, in terms of assessing you know, uh, you know, what those churches are doing and in the, in the, in the conditions they take and their impact on the community, uh, on the community at large. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, is the church untouchable? And should we have the right to, to critique those who are running these institutions? Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Certainly the church is not above criticism. Uh, you know, we have an organized body of baptized believers who are who are the church. And if you're not part of the organized body of baptized believers, it's going to be a, a, the subjective factor is such that uh, you're not going to be able to get a proper perspective of, of, of the role of the church and what's going in, in the church because you're not in the church. And so um, there's a certain subjective factor that that uh, that is involved here. Um, certainly, Jesus said, "Run unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, unto God the things that are God." And and uh, so we have a separation of church and state. And so the corruption in the church is not as critical as the corruption in the po- in the political sphere, the state, the government. That's the real issue. Uh, Focusing on the church is not going to solve the problem. Uh, uh, the problem is the government and the question of revolution or non-revolution. And uh, we live in a political economy where things, dialectical and historical materialism must be applied. Um, we must use a scientific approach to things. Words come into being and words go out of being. Ideas come into being, ideas go out of being. There's such thing as a nation. Nations come into existence and go out of existence. We have to have a scientific understanding of, of words and how they apply to material reality. And we can't be calling ghettos, nations, and et cetera. Um, um, but, like, um, the church the church has problems, uh, but the real issue is the government. Uh, uh, P.L. Namoma was criticizing the church from a from a uh believer's standpoint, uh and uh and his criticism seemed to be more accurate that way. Thank you. Thank you, brother Moses. Sister Alador, weigh in on this issue. Where are you at? Is the church above approach? Uh, can you repeat the question, please, Brother Africa? Is the church above critique, Sister Eleanor? Is the church above the critique? And can we critique those who run it? Yes, we can critique it. And it is not above critique. And I'd like to, um, if I can, just weigh in on the guest this evening, Brother Bay who talked about being in the Americas before the Europeans and before Columbus in 1492. That too, James Van Sturmer wrote on the subject and they came before Columbus. And as uh, Brother Haiti and Anthony talked about knowledge, astronomy, 
mathematics and these things were being studied in Africa and the Americans. The Mayans invented the zero. And the astronomy is how they were able to trade long before the European trading routes were established. So uh, there is, uh, when we look at history, we look at very ancient history, then there's a huge gap. And then we pick up with uh, what they call modern history, which is uh, colonial history. But years before 1992, uh, in the 10th century and before, Africans were trading with the indigenous people in the Americas. But no, yes, and the church can be critiqued. And when we say the church, which church? There's so many churches and religions. And yes, there's always room for dialogue, uh, collaboration, sharing, and understanding. And so the church uh, is most definitely uh, able to be criticized and studied. When we study, uh, in order to study art, I mean, we have to study worship and how people worship uh, around the world. And uh, Leopold, someone mentioned Leopold, a Bible that Leopold had sent to Africa after the 1884 conference, and he had sent a letter, I understand, this may be a myth, that the people in Africa knew God, they knew religion. The goal was not to teach them about God, but rather to teach them to be submissive to the European uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, so I, I just know when you look at uh, church and religion, it's definitely uh, throughout history been a great focus and people have been studying and critiquing and working on the subject of religion and from more than a millennium, more than two millenniums that we know of. Okay, thank you, Sister Eleanor. And we go to Brother Bay. Your response is the Church Beyond Critique and this numerous Brother L. Bay, your response. All right. Well, Listening to the brothers and the sisters uh, speak, I, I have to only say something back uh, for wisdom because uh, next year in July, I mean this year in July, uh, I'll be 71 years old. 
And the only thing that I have to deal with is what I know up until this point. Uh, I come to the conclusion based on what I know up until this point is if you are a man a woman, the only thing that you got to go on is what you know. Everything else is something that somebody else gave you that you have come to the conclusion about what you think you know. And you have a bad habit of infusing it into your reality, which is a mistake. The only thing that you know and what you can deal with is what you know for a fact. That's all you can do. If they tell you that a man landed on the moon, how do you know that if you don't do an investigation and if you don't do an investigation, you know for a fact, how are you going to turn around and regurgitate what you know and classify it as law? It, it doesn't make anything, any kind of sense to you, and I'm the last person about me. So why don't we go into dealing with everything that we can go back to where we are, back in time, and then start talking about that? How about that? That's all I got to say. Thank you, my brother. Let's continue the discussion as it relates to P.O. the movement speech on corruption in the church. You know, uh, panelists, and uh, before we actually get to the subject of corruption in the church, I'm just curious in terms of how we view the church within the institution. Is the church as an institution a liberating entity or force, or is it a Oppressive, exploitative force. Start with you, brother. Anthony. How do you see the church in this role? Um, I see the. Well, uh, uh, let's see. This is um, this is a complicated uh, answer because. Uh, uh some uh some churches are uh, are controlled are controlled by the by the state or sh- or or should i say the ruling classes that control the state uh so uh some uh some churches do uh do exert a great deal of influence on the societies in which they're located for example the roman catholic church 
and uh, let's see, and then there's some churches that are uh, that are are smaller and uh, based in the communities in which they're located in. Such as a lot of the uh, uh, the Protestant uh, churches, or well, some of them anyway. Uh, some of those are, uh, are 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 controlled by the r- r- ruling classes uh, of the states in which they reside. For example, the Church of England, the Anglican Church, for example. Uh, it uh, it exerts a large influence inside British society, for example. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it's a somewhat uh, it, uh, it 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 really depends upon uh, the size of the church and. Uh, the nominations that are, are are represented as to whether uh uh but i would say for uh for a lot of uh, a lot of capitalist countries uh the church uh exerts uh a, a controlling influence on the on the overall society, and is uh, and is a tool of the ruling classes of the of those societies. Thank you, Brother Anthony, Brother Haki. Your position on the issue of is the church historically and presently is viewed as a liberating force or a force of oppression? Oppression. How do you view this issue of the Lord of Church as being a liberal <clears throat> force or a force of oppression and exploitation? Uh, well, first let me just say to, to Mr. Bay, uh, the moon landing was 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 uh, totally specious. It, it, it didn't happen based upon information that's avail- that's available. In any event, to answer your question, Brother Africa, I think it's a it's a mix it's a mix it's a mixed bag. I I, I think to the extent that. Uh, churches uh, are oppressive. You know, we, you know, when we think about in terms of you know Christian nationalism as a society, and you try to put, you try to in your mind trying to justify how could someone quote unquote serve the Creator at the same token practice hatred and uh, discrimination. So clearly, you know, this stuff gets sanctioned uh, and, and, and by the church. And in fact, when the church sanctioned this kind of behavior, then the culture has it, it does have repercussions for society at large. Certainly, one of the things that's been happening in society over the last over the last couple of years that increasingly the, the most violent uh, racists in society have been joining Christian nationalists, and that's why pushing the church further to the right. So the mere fact that does, the information that's being conveyed in those churches creates a, a, a situation where those, this this kind of uh, kind of vile rhetoric has has some kind of just it has some kind of credibility because. People in the church believe that has some credibility. They act out in ways and would suggest that not only is it credible, but uh, in fact they feel obligated to, to spread the word that hatred is the thing to be. So clearly, that has become very, very oppressive. 
Also, Brother Africa, when you talk about oppressiveness, I think one of the things when we talk about the indoctrination of the church, you see, one of the things is that you can have different denominations of, of churches. And for those, uh, you know, they, they have a, 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 there's a commonality, and in particular in terms of indoctrination, you know, my brand of Christianity is better than your brand of Christianity and so forth and so on. So it breeds a kind of separatism, which is not in the interest in terms of humanity. Because in order for it to bring to bring some kind of redress to the systematic wrongs that afflict society, then it seems to me, Brother Africa, that it has to be uh, some realization that we have to work together in terms of bringing about you know that reality. The mere fact that when you have this kind of indoctrination, which is opposed to unity, then in fact it embraces the kind of oppression in which the, the system at large embraces. So clearly, uh, we got to be concerned about this kind of indoctrination in the churches. And lastly, in terms of oppressive oppressiveness. You know, one of the things when we talk about, you know, the, the politics that exist in the church, I think it's ironic. When you start thinking about, you know, uh, Christian theologians who talk about uh, crucicentrism, in other words, uh, nothing can change without the power, with the power of Jesus. And so what it, what it does, essentially does, is nullify the ability of human beings to change their social political condition. So, in fact, we understand that if people simply change their mindset and work together to create a better world, it can be done. When according to the, the, the to, to some churches ethos, uh, this notion in terms of human beings being able to change the situation is impossible. And so, if you got people who believe that human beings cannot change the situation they find themselves confronted with, then they become part of the oppressive apparatus of society, uh, which is responsible for all the, uh, uh, the the injustice, the chaos, and the hatred that uh, generally permeates the society. So clearly, those are things that are very, very oppressive. Now, in terms of liber- in terms of being liberating, I think when you have those churches that teach love for humanity and, and who embrace uh, the the oneness of humanity, who embrace the African the the, the, the African the African uh, origin of terms of religion, who understand the spiritual aspect of religion is most important, and who strive to who strive to spread that spirituality, and, and and not just in terms of words, but just terms in terms of actions in terms of insisting that you have a society which is humane, just, and, 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 and compassionate. So for those kind of people who embrace those kind of values, it's very, very liberating, not only for the human being personally, but society generally. Also, I think, you know, one of the things when we talk about, you know, liberating, you know, the, the churches should be at the forefront in terms of bringing about any change. This, these, these institutions represent the creation. If they represent creation, I mean, I, I do understand that when you talk about creation, you talk about good and bad. But to the extent that these institutions are, are theoretically designed to, to, to focus on good overcoming, the, the positive overcoming the negative, if, if in fact they're guided by their philosophy in terms of the good over the negative, then certainly they should be at the forefront in terms of when, when they see injustice, they be the first to say, listen, this is unacceptable. This is not the kind of world, this is not emblematic of creation. We want a world in which you don't have people living on the streets. You don't have a situation where people don't have access to food. You don't have a situation where people are routinely uh, gunned down you know, by, by uh, agencies of the state. This is totally unacceptable. So in that regard, it becomes very, very liberating. But the problem is that, like always, you know, <clears throat> as Brother Anthony alluded to, you got some churches you know, who, who are big on this liberation theme where other churches are not. But clearly, Brother Africa, to answer the final question, is a mixed bag, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Brother Moses? 
How do you view the church? Is a is it a liberating force or a force of exploitation and oppression? Brother Moses. First of all, I believe in separation of church and state. And I think, you know, there's a lot of ideas. Uh, politics determines economics, always has and always will. So it's the government that's the critical issue here. Um, people will have a right to believe whatever they want to believe um, for freedom of religion. Uh, uh, but it's, when the tower hits the road, it's about government. It's about institutions of this government, of the state. And um, that's determining the, the real economy and what's really going on in society. Until we get a grasp of that, you know, we can't get our hands on this question because uh, we're just grasping at straws and um, talking about things that don't, that are just ideas and they're not grounded in material reality. I'm into dialectic and historical materialism, and we must stay grounded in the struggle. And, and um, you know, it's, it's hard to get a handle on things when you're not involved with them. It's like voting. If you don't vote, you know, obviously, you know, you're going to have a position that's consistent with your behavior. It's the same with churches. You're going to have a consistent, consistent with your behavior because you don't participate. And so, you know, uh, criticism is, is great, but uh, but sooner or later, the tie hits the road. You either believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ or you don't. And that's the bottom line. Thank you. Sister Eleanor, talk to us. What is your position on the role of the church as being liberated or being oppressive? Well, you know, it, it really depends because the church is so much. The whole Protestant movement came up in the 16th century uh, in an effort to correct errors or perceived errors and discrepancies in the Catholic Church. And the United States is supposedly 48% Protestant, and that includes the Baptists, the Evangelists, the Confessionals, and uh, the Black Church, which has a very special place in America. So depending on the, the depending on the the church it, it does many things in the community. Uh the black church was a, a resource for organizing and empowering the people, African people in America. Uh, Richard Allen you know, the AME church and that sort of thing. And then we saw in the mid-20th century uh, the Pentecostal movement. But what we see right now is these huge mega, uh, I don't know how we would describe them, churches for success. And we see they do have political backing. You see, uh, uh, I saw a huge church in Honduras, a Pentecostal church in Honduras, and it was being backed by Israel. And the purpose of being backed by Israel is because their theology uh, pushed the political belief that supports Zionism. 
So it's a very complex subject, religion, and discussing what goes on with religion. Just in 2023, I understand that several hundred Protestant churches left the uh, main organization uh, because of their views on their political views differed from that of the church, whether or not women should be uh, um, deacons or ministers, how we dealt with the gay community and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, the church is, uh, definitely has an impact on the community. And there are aspects to look at um, when we, we we look at the church. But what we have here right now going in this country is this new right-wing movement. And it is it, religious and foundation. But uh, Brother Moses said, there should be a separation between state and church. But these churches are political in nature, so it's kind of hard to see what what worship, you know, how they're worshiping. It's more about propaganda and, and uh, promoting uh, political ideas. And they seem to have infiltrated the evangelist, uh, I believe it's the evangelical co-community, evangelists. They penetrated in those churches in particular, but no one's exempt. Um, so, yes, the church is having playing a political role in society, especially in the United States and North America right now. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Bay, would you like to respond to your position on the church? Do you see that as a liberating force or a force of oppression and exploitation? Brother Bay. Yeah, I certainly would. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, I'll, I'll, can you hear me? Yes, we can. All right. Yes, well, we can. I have a bag or box of questions. The first question is, what is the difference between <clears throat> knowing for a fact and you can prove and believing? If you tell me that uh, <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Hey, Brother Bay, well, let me stop you. Brother Bay, let me stop you for a second. 
and just make this quick statement. We've been having technical problems with this program. As of right now, it is set to cut off the next 20 seconds. These are issues we've been going with, go, we've been dealing with for a while now. I will have to contact Blog Talk Radio and see if we can connect us. So we'd like to thank everybody for tuning in, and we'll see them next week, same time, same station. Oh.